Father, um, we could find no words to express our deepest, deepest love, uh, appreciation, and respect for Brother David and Carol. And uh, what an honor right now to give them an opportunity to uh, minister to us uh, as they have done uh, so ably uh, over these um, uh, 46-plus years here at, uh, at Edgewood. And uh, so, Father, we uh, thank you for them. Uh, we pray you would bless as they even share now and that you would use their ministry to further encourage our hearts and uh, challenge us in our walk with you that as we have seen demonstrated in their lives, uh, in the ups and downs of life, uh, always maintaining you as their first love, greatest passion and pursuit. And Lord, it's been a joy, even uh, to this very day, uh, to see you forming Christ in them to be displayed through them. And even seeing in their latter years, uh, you using them to bear such great fruit. And so, Father, uh, bless even this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, Carol, come on up. This? Is that good? Okay. Is the mic okay? Everything okay with the mic? It needs to be down. Yeah. Well, I'll just try to pretend this is Sunday school. Although. <laughs> So I want to read some scripture like we usually do. Whoops. Okay. I'm going to read from Corinthians. Now there are distinctive varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. Special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. But it's the same Spirit who grants them and empowers believers. And there are distinctive varieties of ministries and service, but it's the same Lord who is served. And there are distinctive ways of working to accomplish things. But it's the same God who produces all things in all believers, inspiring, energizing, and empowering them. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual illumination, and the enabling of the Holy Spirit for the common good. All these things, the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, the empowering, are brought about by one and the same Holy Spirit, distributing to each one individually just as he chooses. For just as the body is one and yet has many parts, and all the parts, though many, form only one body, so it is with Christ. For it is one Holy Spirit we were all baptized into one body, spiritually transformed, united together, whether Jews or Greeks, 
Gentiles, slaves, free. And we were all made to drink of one Holy Spirit. Since the same Holy Spirit fills each life. But now, as things really are, God has placed and arranged the parts of the body, each one of them, just as he willed and saw fit to with the, with the best balance of function so that, there, so that there would be no division or, or discord in the body. That is, the lack of adapt, adaptation of the parts to each other, but that the parts may have the same concern for one another. And if one member suffers, all the parts share the suffering. If one member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you collectively are God's body, and individually you are members of each, each with his own special purpose and function. I especially want to emphasize if one member suffers, all, all parts share the suffering. If one member is, in, is honored, all rejoice with it. Today, you want to honor us, but, but really, all, all, all parts of Edgewood should be honored today. I think of so many now who are with Christ in heaven. And I, so many, many, many. I wish I could wish, I wish I could name every wonderful person who has um, been such an inspiration and such a joy in our lives and ministered and taught us so much. So today I want to, I want to thank you. The Philippians says, Paul says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, thanking God for your participation and partnership, both your comforting fellowship and gracious contributions in advancing the good news regarding salvation from the first day even until now. So thank you so much. That's really the main thing I wanted to share with you, how grateful I am for what you have done for us and for our family and for being able to observe your love and compassion and ministry to one another. Um, this is supposed to be a testimony. So I can't, even though the majority of my life has been spent here, I've been here 46 years, and so I came, I guess I came, the balance of that, my arithmetic's not very good right now. Anyway, anyway, I have a great heritage in that my grandfather was a believer, and he read um, the Bible to my mother consistently, I think three times through as she was growing up. So that began the faith that my mother was to pass on to me. So even though I, I did not know my grandfather very well, because when I was six, he died. But my mom had that strong faith, and because of that, she was able to choose 
to give me birth rather than have an abortion when she was in a difficult situation. And all through my life, sorry, all through my life, the church has meant everything to me, Um, even so many, many, many ways, endless ways, uh, because um, our family, uh, there were there were four of us children and and mom and dad, but dad left us. And so all through my life, uh, the church filled in where uh, took the place of my earthly father in so many ways. Uh, Some of the ways were like when I was very small, my neighbors, two little old ladies took me to Sunday school because mom was too embarrassed to go because she was one of the few people that that had happened to. So they took me to Sunday school, and I can still remember singing the little songs about how Jesus loved me and marching around the little bitty chairs. That's when I think that's my first memory. And then, uh, just on and on and on, our church ministered to us. There were, of course... There was our wonderful pastor who always preached the word of God without compromise. He always did that. So I grew up having such a wonderful pastor, so compassionate. He visited us. Um, he, He ministered to my mom in later years. She said that she would have probably taken her own life with so much responsibility because dad did not help us at all. And back then, you know, there was no food stamps. There was no welfare. So the church filled in, filled in those gaps in our family, those needs that we had. So as an an 11-year-old, you can imagine what the church has meant to me all these years. So... um, Many ways the church ministered. I remember at Christmas time, we really, we are always uh, kind of low on food. I remember at Christmas time how the church came and brought us all these big sacks. Remember the big paper sacks? They brought us a whole bunch of paper sacks. We could hardly, we could hardly believe it, and we could hardly wait till they left so we could go see the papers, what was in the paper sacks. And then there was always choir. There were always Sunday school teachers. There were always drama. There was always prayer meeting. There were church suppers. There were retreats. There were youth retreats. There were visits from friends and loved ones. And most especially, there was a director of religious education. That's what we call Jonathan's job back in those days. And she was so wonderful to me. Polly, looking back, I know that she just especially wanted to help me in my life, and she certainly did. She was a great influence. She was so sweet. I know now when she asked me to make drapes for her office and asked me to always help her on certain projects, I know now that was probably not because I was a real seamstress, but probably because she wanted to help me and include me. So where would I be? Where would I be today? Well, all 
about all those wonderful people that helped me as I grew up. And so because uh, my parents were divorced, I really um, didn't know about ever getting married. Because, you know, when you're young, you don't understand what's going on between a man and woman. You just think dad doesn't like you anymore. So I didn't know. I didn't want to have a family where um, my, my husband would leave us. And I just didn't want to go through that. So I really prayed about that. I, I told God that please don't ever let me get married unless it's someone that you want me to marry. And so I, was all, I just committed that to God. And, and I said, I'll, I'll stay single. I won't get married unless you send me somebody. But when I was 17 years old, I met David Howell. And right away, I thought, maybe, maybe God's going to let me get married and have a family. I was so excited. I recognized his love for Jesus, and that was so exciting. But, but then I began to worry when he took me to this Baptist revival. And, you know, I was a Presbyterian, and it was so conservative. Our pastor just stood there, and he never moved. He took me to this revival, and this preacher ran up and down the pulpit. Just, he was telling the story of Samson and Delilah, and he was making it so graphic. I was horrified. So I thought, well, if he's going to be that kind of preacher, I, I don't know. I don't think this is going to work. So anyway, and then we had a big argument about closed communion. Because he informed me that, you know, the Baptists, and I had experienced that in one of my friend's churches. He said, oh, that's right. He said, it's perfectly fine. They ask, we ask all those who are not a part of our congregation to leave before we have, have the Lord's Supper. And I said, that is, that's totally bad. That's totally wrong. That is wrong. But, of course, being the Baptist that he was, he said, no, it's not. That's the right way. So I began to have real doubts about if this is going to work or not. But my mom and my family, they loved David. They thought he was just great. He used to bring ice cream to the house because he worked in an ice cream plant. And, oh, that really won my children over. And we took them to the drive-in movies, you know, they, all those kind of things. So they adored him. But mom said, well, you know. If you marry a preacher, you can't wear long dresses anymore. You can't wear shorts anymore. And you're going to have to move around every two years. So I thought, well, I don't care. I don't care. I'll do anything if I can marry him. So anyway, so we dated about four years. And then we got married in 1955. And we went... Um, David graduated from college, and we went away to seminary in Louisville. And again, again, we were able to have a church while David was in seminary. And always, always, the churches taught us so much. And they always forgave us and, you know, worked with us. They were always so gracious to us. I don't have any bad stories about how other people, preachers' wives may have about being mistreated, and I thank you so much. 
Anyway, in Indiana, we learned so much in Indiana. It was a rural church out in the country, and we learned how to eat kale and tuna fish and, tur and turtles. So because our income was so small, but this helped us. We learned how to strip tobacco. So all this helped us, though, to learn people and to appreciate people. Then in 1958, we had the joy of having our first daughter, Christy. And that was so wonderful. So I was able to stay home and didn't have to work anymore. And it was just, Christy went with me everywhere we went. Because David would go back to seminary and he would send us on mission every day. So we had to go out in the community and do whatever he had uh, assigned us to do that day. So then... Then we stayed there several years, and then David graduated from seminary, and we went to Abbeville, Alabama, back down to the south. And they were so wonderful to us. They corrected. If David said something that might be a little bit liberal from the pulpit, because he had graduated from, uh, from Southern Seminary, which had some liberal preachers, liberal teachers, so then they, they would come and quietly correct him and talk to him about that theology. So again, again, and then we had three more children. They were wonderful to us, absolutely wonderful. And then we went to Korea. And the people in that church thought we were nuts because we were carrying these four little babies overseas. But we went and... I didn't, we didn't have a second thought because we knew God wanted us to go. So we weren't worried about anything. But then we stayed there until 1969. And then David, David had really was restless because although he was evangelistic missionary and he preached constantly and traveled all over the northeast part of South Korea, he was, he was somewhat, he was somewhat, frustrated because he couldn't have one fellowship to minister to. He had to travel around from place to place helping the pastor establish churches. So anyway, we came back to um, came back to the States and we came to uh, Baxley, Georgia, where Holly was born in Baxley. And again, again, they loved us and we grew with them. As as um, as we served with them there, um, then then uh, we were called to come to Columbus, Georgia, to Edgewood Baptist Church. I see uh, I see our neighbor guy Bone back there. He was on the pulpit committee. I remember how gracious they were. They explained everything. They showed us the schools. They did all these. Uh, everything they could to help us, they were on call to do what we do, do whatever we needed. And then the children and I came about six weeks before David did because of school starting. So um, we were able to go to church and prayer meeting. So in prayer meeting, I was so excited. Prayer meeting had so many people, and there were so many men. I thought, wow, this is going to be a great time for us because these people really love the Lord. They're serious. They're serious about their Savior. So I told David, I said, this is going to be really, really great. 
So again, here it was. You welcomed us. You welcomed us. You blessed us in so many ways. You were the body of Christ. Um, A few months ago, I heard a nun on television. She She said, the hands of the Almighty have been at the end, have oftentimes been at the end of your arms. And I thought, I've thought about it so many times. That is so true. And that's been true my entire life, ever since, even before I was born. The hands of the Almighty have been at the end of your arms. So you have been wonderful to us. Each and every one of you have ministered to us in so many ways. You're mostly probably not even aware of because, you know, we all watch each other. We all, we all see each other. We work with each other. We pray for each other. We know each other. And we see Christ in each other's lives. And every time I see Christ in your life, that does so much for me. That just lifts me up. It gives me hope. It gives me joy. And so you have done this for us, which is one of the greatest things you've done. But, of course, practically speaking, you have physically fed us. You've clothed us. You've provided a place for us to live. So our us and our whole family... We have been at your kindness and mercy and graciousness, even in our physical lives. But you've taught us so many things, even from the time that that Holly entered the nursery at two years old. I remember they were so wonderful because, of course, being a strange place, she started to cry and scream and didn't want to leave me. But they took her, and I stood outside the door, and all of a sudden, she stopped. And I thought, well, maybe she, maybe she fainted or something. I, didn't, I was really worried. So I knocked on the door, and one of the ladies came to the door, and I said, is she okay? And they said, oh, yeah, we just showed her that big hole in the wall over there and told her there was an elephant in there. <laughs> so that was when our nursery has been repaired since then. But you were so wonderful to us. We were partners in everything. We learned right along with y'all. You were always doing everything, so many things. We had our children, we had Holly graduated from CHA. Uh, we were partners. We had Awana, we had GAs, we had RAs, we had WMU, uh, we had retreats. We had couples retreats. We had deacons retreats. We had staff retreats. On and on and on. We had conferences. We had choir dramas. I remember Brother Andy up there in the corner. He was John the Baptist screaming out, you brood of vipers. It was so real. And of course, Kathy was Mary Magdalene with her wonderful voice. So many, many people, so many wonderful people, so, so many wonderful staff members over so many years. 
I just wish I wish I could thank every single one of them. There's just such been such a blessing to us. We had wedding. We cel- we celebrated weddings. We experienced deaths. Prayer meetings, various prayer meetings, praying for one another with each other many times. We had special people like Ian Thomas to come and share for revivals. We had Miss Bertha. I don't know how many of you remember her, but boy, she really shook us up around here. She was so wonderful. And to go to her conference place, her retreat, that was so special. Okay, so we visited together. We had evangelism explosion. We taught together. We challenged each other. I remember how wonderful it was to do the Thanksgiving and Christmas baskets here because that always reminded me of God's graciousness to me when I was a little girl. Such a pleasure. We went through failures. We went through conflicts together. We had victories, we had losses, we had challenges, we had joys, we had sorrows all together. You forgave us. You forgave us. You comforted us. All the crises we went through, you were always there. Always there, sympathizing, empathizing, encouraging us. You have walked with us through all these things. Oh, my goodness, I can't thank you enough for all you've done. You've loved us from the time we came, even through now in our older age. Most of all, you prayed with us, and you prayed for us. Thank you so much. Please continue as we enter these old years, because now we, need, we sort of need you more than ever. And it's such a joy to be able to walk with other believers who are going through these same ages, too. Because it's so hard, even our children are having to raise us now. And that's really hard on them, so pray for them. Anyway, so I thank God. I thank God, as I remember all of life that you have shared with us at Edgewood. I know that God is going to continue. He's going to continue as you allow Christ's arms to be extended all around to each other and to the unbelievers. So I know that Jesus is going to come back, but until then, he's going to continue to speak to each one of us, to speak through each one of us, and to grow us and teach us. I know um, Holly's husband, Ed, asked me one time after Dad David went through all the crisis in April and the following months, he said, well, how are you doing? I said, well, I am trying to learn to be old, and it is not fun. But anyway, thank you that I can learn here at Edgewood because you are such wonderful examples of how to learn about the Christian life. So, God, in his infinite wisdom, is so wondrously wise. He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And when we do that, we get like a lost ball all by ourselves out in the cornfield. And Satan can beat us up. So let's all continue 
remembering, remembering how important it is that God planned this. We're his body. He has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. He is working through us, and we just praise him and thank him. So I want to pray. Thank you, Father, for your awesome, wonderful plan for Edgewood. Thank you for each member of Christ's body here. Please, Father, please continue your mighty work in all of us, just as you promised to do until you come back to get us and help us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Father, as you have told us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. this on your thing. I saw I saw Brother David biting at the bit over there, ready to get up. So. Appreciate your presence today, and we appreciate the uh, uh, opportunity uh, to be with our uh, wonderful church family, folks that we love so very much. And that's good. Uh, my math is not very well because as I was figuring up how long we'd been here I came up with a figure of 48 years but uh, 46 so uh, all of those years have been uh, wonderful years and uh, as Carol has already said to you uh, this church has ministered to us in And uh, ways that we really can't express to you just how much uh, this church has meant to us. We just live a few blocks from here. And uh, I pass this church many times each day going to do other things. And I always thank God for a good old Edgewood Baptist Church. I tried to reflect back on some interesting things that uh, have uh, taken place here over the years. And uh, I uh, thought I'd share a few of those with you. Uh, I remember when uh, a couple of our church members who were neighbors... Uh, had a falling out with each other. And, uh, you know, we were all upset about that, and we went to them to minister, and uh, yet uh, uh, one of them would not forgive his, uh, his neighbor for what had happened. And so uh, uh, we had uh, talked about this and prayed about it among the deacons and staff, and uh, uh, so we uh, said, well, it looks like we're going to have to bring some church discipline uh, on this fellow who's not willing to forgive. And, you know, uh, I remember uh, we had planned to do that on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, uh, 
As I uh, came to the church that day, I could tell that the deacons were very, very nervous about that. They just didn't, uh, uh, didn't know exactly what to do, how to go about it. And uh, I remember uh, right before the time that uh, uh, we were to, to, you know, to, to take that action, I said uh, to the chairman of the deacons, let's try one more time. And so together we went over to that house, and sure enough, uh, the man said he was willing to forgive his neighbor, and uh, that was settled. And I remember coming back to <laughs> tell the, the group of deacons that were here at the church praying for it. And boy, you talk about relief. They were relieved. <laughs> so uh, I remember the time also we had a man to climb up in the church belfry here. And uh, he he said he wasn't coming down until we did something about his marriage that he was in trouble with. Uh, we finally got him out of the belfry. I don't remember now exactly what happened in his marriage. <laughs> and then uh, there have been such wonderful staff members over the years, and we've had some great times together in, in our church. Uh, we had a janitor here whose name was Major. He was about six foot, six inches tall, strong as a bull, and uh, he, he, was a, he was a tremendous worker around here. And uh, I used to come up here uh, on Sunday mornings real early and practice my sermon. I would get up here in, in the pulpit and actually go over it and preach it to the pews there before I preached it at the regular time. And uh, one morning when I came up, Major, I guess, had not gotten all of his work done, uh, and he was up here in, uh, in the balcony, I mean, in the, the areas right up here, and uh, uh, there were actually more of the pews there at that time than, than there are none. And so uh, he was up there just vacuuming, and so I slipped back here to where the switch was, flipped off the switch, and I heard this noise, boom, 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 boom. And I came back in, and I couldn't find Major. And all of a sudden, he came up from that pew and he said, I know that it was you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember too when we built this building, one of our strong leaders, major leaders in the church, uh, was against it. And he said, uh, We'll never ever get that paid for well we got it paid for years ahead of time he was wrong and we're grateful to God that he was I remember also when we had a, a new members class and uh, that was a wonderful uh, thing we required people at that time uh, when they would uh, want to join our church that they would have to complete that class uh, before they you know, became official members of our church. And uh, it, was, it was a good class. Uh, a lot of people over the years told me just how much they had learned on church doctrines and other doctrines of the scriptures during that time. So uh, that worked out very well for us. And then uh, I remember when uh, uh, Edgewood was cited by the uh, Georgia Baptist Convention to be one of the fastest growing churches uh, 
in, in the state of Georgia. And uh, at that time, we had uh, gotten up in the numbers of around 1,400 in Sunday school. And uh, uh, we, we had a wonderful fellowship. And uh, our, our folks in the two morning services got along just fine. And uh, they would reach out to those that were not in the regular service with them. And, and we managed those years just fine. And the people, you know, uh, had close fellowship with each other. Then uh, one thing I, I have to say about Edgewood Baptist, it has always been a wonderful giving church. Uh, uh, over the years, uh, just wonderful things have hap happened in that area. Uh, Carol mentioned the uh, baskets at Christmas. I remember sometimes there were a hundred families or more that uh, we would not only uh, arrange some very uh, nice baskets for but deliver them unto those families where they wouldn't even have to get out. And uh, uh, that was certainly a, a meaningful time. And then over the years, uh, this church has given thousands of dollars in financial aid to members. In fact, uh, we were known so well for that that uh, some of the other churches in town, when their members would need things, would say, well, go over there to Edgewood and they'll help you. And uh, we were glad that uh, they had that kind of confidence. And when we could, we would help them all, uh, all we were able to do. So uh, uh, I'm very grateful for uh, the wonderful way that our people have given over the years. Then perhaps the greatest ministry of our, our church uh, has been that of the crisis pregnancy centers. Uh, Brother Andy uh, uh, presented that uh, need to us, and uh, we, we had some opposition to that at the time. Some of the men said, well, this will put the church in some legal jeopardy that uh, some people might want to sue us for some of the the ways we either ministered or didn't minister unto them. And so uh, it, uh, the deacons were, were praying about that. And uh, some of them uh, had decided that uh, what this fellow was saying was probably wise, that we shouldn't enter into that. But right at the last minute, uh, uh, as we uh, took the vote, vote, it came through where uh, we decided to enter into that, and of course, that's been a wonderful, wonderful ministry over the years. And then I remember, uh, you'll apologize, you'll let me apologize for this, but uh, it's something that did happen, and I thought that uh, might be interesting to you. We, uh, the church was filled, and the balcony was filled, and there was a lady that I'd been counseling for a number of months who had a lot of mental problems. And uh, uh, she came in one day and said to the ushers, something's going to happen in this church that's never happened before. And so it made them a little nervous. And uh, they, several of them positioned themselves around her. So if she tried to hurt someone or do, do some jeopardy, they, they would, you know, try to restrain her from that. And so we had at that time a time of fellowship where we would all shake hands with each other and go 
uh, you know, meet others that uh, were new uh, there and welcome them, speak to some old friends. And while we were doing that, right up there in that balcony, she turned around, threw up her skirt, and mooned me. <laughs> At that time, Jim Hildebrand was the minister of music. I said, Jim, she was just expressing appreciation for the music. <laughs> I remember also there was a restaurant down here where uh, uh, right, right down the street where the staff used to eat uh, in a lot and uh, uh, different ones of us would go together and sometimes there'd be a bunch of us there and uh, we would take turns leaving the tip there and uh, uh, I forget, I think his name was Mark, uh, but uh, uh, it was his time to leave the tip. Mark, if you're here, <laughs> forgive me for saying this, but uh, he left a quarter there. And uh, we were going back to our cars and we heard somebody say, hey, and this lady came out and took that quarter and threw it back at us. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, so... Uh, I'll tell you another thing was exciting to see. Uh, Ray Shaba was the minister of music at that time. I mean, a minister of education at that time. And Jim Hildebrand was the minister of music. And at that time, both of them were well over 200 pounds each. And they used to have some wrestling matches that were unbelievable. And uh, that would make us even hurt to just see them that they would wrestle until they fell out. So we've had some wonderful times over the years. I also remember one time when we were having a baptism service. And you know, I don't know how Andy does it now, but I would have the folks come in on this side and uh, baptize them and then go out on the other side to go, you know, change and get, get dressed again. And uh, so I had baptized several people and we were baptizing some young people that day. And as I uh, had helped somebody go up the stairs on this side, I turned to receive folks coming down on that side. And all of a sudden, this little boy ran, jumped up, and did a cannonball right in the, <laughs> right in the middle of the pool there. <laughs> oh, boy. So... There's also uh, some wonderful things that were miraculous that uh, happened here. Uh, is Bob Van Patten here today? Is his wife here? Ronnie, are you here? Yeah, there's Ronnie. Uh, Bob was in an accident, and uh, his, uh, his leg was hurt very badly. And uh, it left him with a limp where one leg was about two inches uh, shorter than the other leg and he was having a, a very difficult time you know walking and getting around and uh, so uh, uh, the some of the staff members and deacons and uh, I don't know if we had elders at that time or not but we got together and prayed for him and uh, Bob got to doing better and he went back to the doctor and the doctor said I don't understand this uh, that leg has really come out 
two inches to where it was even with a good leg. So uh, God has done some miraculous things here as well. And Carol and I are so very grateful for your kindness to us over the years. And uh, I'm so very grateful for this church. Uh, I, I just love it so much. And it's been so uh, much a part of my life. And uh, I just pray that we'll continue to be open to the leadership of the Lord. And that God will continue, even until the time of the rapture, to use this wonderful church to minister to people in need, and to be a blessing in the community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Brother David and Carol. Uh, we will uh, start the uh, service in, uh, at 1040, 1040. We went a little long here, which is fine. We started late as well. So 1040. So you have a break, about a 10-minute break, and then we'll come back as we continue to focus on Brother David and Carol to express our appreciation and honor them. Uh, we're taking this day to honor our former senior pastor and his beautiful wife, David and Carol Howe, who have served this church for over 46 years. They came here in 1972. And of course, I think you're all aware of the fact that even after uh, he ceased to be the senior pastor, he has continued to serve this church as our senior adult uh, minister, and both him and Carol invested in a number of areas of, of ministry even to this day in the life of our uh, church. And of course, we just uh, completed the uh, renovation uh, out front. As a matter of fact, the only thing yet to be completed is there will be a canopy over the walkway. And uh, that should be put in in the next uh, week or two, but that's the uh, only thing that was not uh, completed by uh, today. And so we're taking this opportunity to dedicate the renovated courtyard uh, to Brother David and Carol. That will be named uh, Hal Terrace. And so we're excited about that, and we'll have a formal presentation, dedication of that uh, right at the conclusion of this service. And then uh, we hope this will be a little abbreviated service, and then we'll move uh, from this service to enjoying the uh, meal uh, downstairs. But let me just mention uh, several announcements, and then uh, we'll move right into our fellowship time, and then Andy will bring us back together in uh, praise and worship. Uh, two key events for the Edgewood family coming up. Uh, Wednesday, October 31st, that's actually Halloween Day, we'll be having our Family Fall Fun Festival down over in the Christian Life Center. This is not just a major event in our church family, but it's become a major community event. And so that will be from 6 to 8. We need you to help us out by uh, bringing candy in so uh, next Sunday, if you could all remember to bring a bag or two of uh, candy, and there's some boxes out in the vestibule, and you can just place that there, that will be of immense help uh, to be able to share that with, especially the community children, as well as our church children as they come in to participate. And then the first weekend in November, uh, our marriage seminar. That will be Friday, Saturday, Friday night. It will begin at 6.30. 
conclude at 9 o'clock, right, Jonathan? 6.30 to 9. And then on Saturday, it begins 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. It's $20 a couple. That includes the entire seminar, all your materials. It includes child care. It includes a great meal that uh, we will share together at, uh, on Friday night. And so uh, make sure you call the church office uh, to register for that and to give us your child care needs. And we're very, very excited about that marriage seminar that first uh, weekend in November. And then tonight will be a normal schedule. Have our Awana ministry for our boys and girls and the youth ministry both at 530 over in the Christian Life Center. And then Jonathan, our Minister of Education, will continue our adult evening teaching series. And, uh, and so uh, that, again, will be, in, that will be in the fellowship hall tonight. Uh, you'll be able to make that turnover with the meal. Okay, so down in the uh, uh, fellowship hall tonight. So with that, let me invite everyone. We welcome our, our, our visitors. We're so glad that you're here on this very special day in the life of our church. And uh, we trust God will bless you for being here. And we encourage you to come back. Uh, as we'll move more into a regular uh, service uh, next week. But please stand. And uh, you extend the hand of fellowship to those around you and especially make our guests feel welcome.
Rick's uh, absolute favorite songs. The reason I say that is because the next portion of our worship set has some Christmas songs. Um, so, so uh, but, but hey, everybody likes singing Christmas songs, right? So we're going to continue into uh, the service as another one of David Howe's favorites, Jesus, Jesus, the Savior is born. Father, we do thank you that uh, you allow us to come into these four walls and worship this morning. God, we know that if it weren't for you, we would have no hope. Lord, we thank you for uh, all the lives that have been uh, dedicated to this church. Um, and today we, we uh, especially recognize Brother David Howe, Carol, and his family, Lord, for the dedication they've had uh, through all these years. And uh, at this time, we're going to watch a video um, that just kind of captures that. So we can all kind of go back in time with Brother David. And it's in his name, God's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. And uh, I actually put that song on our calendar about three months ago, not even knowing we were going to do this dedication service today. And so I thought about it. I said, you know, how I want to continue to have the youth choir up here. But I said, senior choir would probably be more appropriate for Brother David. No offense, Brother David. Um, <laughs> but after thinking about it, the text of this song says, my praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. Your praise, excuse me. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. And I think we can all attest to, to seeing Brother David, wherever he is, God's praise is ever on his lips. And so I think it was appropriate God ordained that song for him today.
joy sitting up there watching him bawl his eyes out one more time. I will say, I've always said this about Brothers David. Yeah, I mean, everyone that knows him knows his tender heart. He so easily uh, uh, cries and is that spirit working in him. But he, but he is the ugliest crier I've ever seen. And, and the, re the reason is, I mean, you know, I, I, I deal with this sometimes, not as much as Brother David, but, but when I sort of get broken up, I have to stop collect myself to move on. He just keeps speaking through the crying, and that's, that's what makes it uh, so, so interesting. But uh, it's a joy to have uh, many of his family here. I think all of the children are here except Kirk, who lives, he's up in, what, North Dakota, North Dakota. Now, I don't have time, of course, to introduce the entire family, but I think you'd probably like to see uh, the four girls. You know, they have the four girls and then the son, Kirk. So, uh, Christy, would you stand up? There's Christy. And then Marion was next. And then Tammy. Y'all are being so bashful. And then Holly, the baby. Holly. And then with the, and we have all their uh, married partners here, uh, children, uh, grandchildren here. Would everyone in the Howe family, would you stand and just give us an opportunity to express our love and appreciation? Amen. I'm going to invite uh, Jonathan, our Minister of Education, to come to the uh, platform. I've asked Jonathan to uh, share uh, a testimony related to uh, uh, Brother David's influence and impact. And Jonathan represents uh, a very, very uh, uh, unique group. Uh, I think this is o often overlooked about Brother David and Carol, but this may be their greatest legacy uh, related to the kingdom of God. I do not know how many, but I know for an absolute fact that well over a hundred, it's probably closer to 150 men and women through their ministry, through their impact and influence, God called into ministry as pastors, missionaries, uh, Christian teachers uh, all over the world, not just the United States, but internationally. And when you think about it, even our current staff. We have three men on our staff, Jonathan, our Minister of Education, Andy, of course, our Minister of Music, then Jonathan Wilson, our Minister of All of these men were literally raised in this church from their earliest years. And it's sort of fascinating now to see three of them uh, on uh, staff here at Edgewood Baptist Church. And that's just a reflection of the impact that uh, Brother David and Carol has had on so many. So Jonathan sort of represents that, that wonderful group uh, that, uh, that were impacted through their lives, called into ministry, and I thought it would be very appropriate for him to share uh, some of his reflections on Brother David since he, all of his life, uh, it's the only pastor he knew. Uh, so uh, Jonathan, share with us. 
anticipating this service about some of the, the pastors who, uh, who grew up here and then eventually went into ministry. Um, just, and, and I intentionally didn't, didn't talk to, uh, to mom or dad or anyone else because I wanted to see how many I could think of. I, outside of uh, myself and the other two guys who were mentioned, Andy and, uh, and Jonathan Wilson, I could think of seven other guys. I, I came up with ten just sitting on my couch last night. Uh, Ed Kavetkis, David Rathel, Drew Arrington, Rob Strickland, Ben Hale, Jerry Aiken, Jamie Merritt, um, just off the top of my head. Um, and so, as was just said, I don't know how many men and women have gone out from Edgewood as a result of the ministry, Pastor Al, that you've had and the influence that, uh, that you and Carol have had. Um, but there has been a good and rich heritage uh, that's been created uh, through a lot of labor and a lot of late nights on your behalf, and, uh, and it has not been in vain. Uh, having said that, there's a, a verse that's very appropriate for a, a morning like this. In Hebrews 13, 7, uh, the author, as he's wrapping up his, uh, his letter to, uh, to his audience, to his Christians, says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So, for myself, I'm, I'm just merely a representative. I'm not speaking on behalf of any of these other men or women. Or I'm sure they would have their, uh, their own items or remembrances or characteristics that they would cite. But just for myself, three things that, um, that I wanted to mention that, that have stood out to me and that I think even if this wouldn't necessarily be high on, on someone else's list, if they might reorder it, they would still recognize this to be true and to be characteristics or traits, examples that they have benefited from uh, going into, uh, into full-time vocational ministry themselves. Uh, number one, um, Pastor Howell loved his people. If there, is, if there is one thing, that it, for myself at least, that I wish I could get from Pastor Howell, it would be that. God, help me love people like Pastor Howell did and does. Uh, I don't know anything about the men who preceded Pastor Howell. He was the only pastor I knew. I only know one man who succeeded him. I grew up with him. All right. So I can't make any, I can't make any bold pronouncements. Like of all the pastors that Edgewood has ever had, no one has been more, or he's the most gifted preacher or skilled administrator or visionary leader. I, I can't say any of that. So I'm going to try to keep it safe and just say this. When everything is said and done for the history of Edgewood and the books are written and they're closed and everything, I don't know that there will ever be a pastor that Edgewood has seen or will have in the future who will have loved the people better than Pastor Howell has. Right. Pastor Howell would cry in the pulpit. He would cry when he was praying. He would cry many other times as well. But most importantly, perhaps, is the fact that he would take time to to cry with you in private, behind the scenes, as you were sharing your burdens, your concerns with him, he was concerned for you, loved you, prayed for you, 
and in many ways sort of carried the burdens of the people along with him that he served and that he ministered. That's a tremendous quality. And especially for younger men coming up who look around now and who, um, who see that for so many, uh, so many people in ministry, it's about building a platform or writing books or, you know, traveling or, you know, who you know and who you can rub shoulders with. It is so refreshing to be able to point back to your pastor and to say, no, he got it right. What it was about was serving and loving the people that had been placed under his care and under his charge. Number two, Pastor Howe was a man, is a man of integrity. There's never been a time in the church's history where the, where the church has not had to deal with uh, the scandals of sin, especially when it comes from uh, the leaders um, that she has. Pastors are not a, a special breed of person. They're not any more spiritual than anyone else. They just have a different uh, calling, a different responsibility that the Lord has placed on them. And so all men, all women are susceptible to sin and temptation. But what a joy and what a blessing it is for Edgewood to be able to say that over 40 plus years of ministry, there has never been a whiff, a hint, a rumor of any kind of moral or ethical failing on the part of their senior pastor. Yes. Pastor Howe was the same in the pulpit. He was the same in his home, at least so far as I could see. Family might have other stories, but I think that's true. In particular, I remember, you know, Pastor Howe, he would preach he was very firm, very strong. He knew where he stood on, uh, on any kind of moral or ethical issues and, you know, some of the societal ills. I remember one time, I think as a teenager, going with my dad, maybe my brother, over to Pastor Howe's house. We went downstairs um, and watched, of course, the Braves. And so we're watching the Braves play and on a commercial break. I think it was an, uh, some sort of ad maybe for, uh, for Budweiser or something like that. I think it's okay to mention that in church. Ad for Budweiser comes on, and it was a funny commercial. And so here you are as a teenage boy, and you're wondering, okay, here's the senior pastor. What's he? You're kind of looking around, and he just, the commercial goes through. You're fighting back your own laughter, and he's just sitting there. And then all of a sudden he says, boy, those buzzards sure do make some good ads. <laughs> and that was it. Now, I always appreciated that because that, would, that is a, uh, a great opportunity. You know, you let your guard down, you, you know, you don't need to put on airs or anything like that. And yet the same attitude that he had about the dangers that are in the world, the philosophy of the world and the way that it preys on the human soul, all of that was carried with him wherever he went. What he said in the pulpit was what he truly believed and what he truly lived out. He was a man of integrity. What a tremendous tremendous example and testimony to the grace of God that keeps his men so long as they continue to walk in his ways. Thank you for that. And then last, last, certainly not least, uh, not only was he a man who, uh, who loved his people, he was a man of integrity. Uh, he preached the word. Uh, when you're growing up as a kid, you just sort of assume 
that especially when you've been in one church your whole life, you just assume that what happens here is what happens in every church. And then you, you go out and you have some time on your own and you come to find out it doesn't happen everywhere. So if you had asked me when I was a kid, well, you know, what does it take to preach? I would say, well, you, you got to get a passage of scripture, you got to come up with a three-point outline, and you better make sure it's alliterated, right? So even, even in the funeral services that he gives, he'll give Psalm 23, and somehow he gets a three-point alliterated outline, a master, a mate, and a mission. I don't know how he did it. But you get out and you start to see not everyone preaches with three points, not everyone uses alliteration, but here's the thing. More, more tragic, and of course what really is at the root of it, not everyone who preaches gives their people the word. Not everyone who preaches feeds their people with words of life. The flowers fade and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Pastor Howell knew that, and he preached that way. In Isaiah 66, the Lord says, the, one, the man that I look to, the man who has my favor, is the man who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. What a privilege for Edgewood to say that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, for years and years, they sat under the preaching and teaching of a man who trembled at God's word. Pastor Howell, thank you for years and years of faithful ministry, of loving your people, of maintaining your integrity, of remaining true to Scripture, of not bending to the blowing winds of fads or society or popularity or anything like that. Men like myself have benefited greatly, tremendously from your ministry. I thank you for it. The kingdom thanks you for it. Well done. Well done. Please be seated. Chris had just gave him the church hug for everybody, so <laughs> we'll go, I'm going to share our offertory prayer right now, and then uh, we'll ask our men to come uh, receive uh, this morning's uh, offering, and then uh, as they do that, I'll introduce the next individual that will be sharing a testimony related to Brother David, so uh, please bow with me in prayer. Father, uh, what Jonathan said was, was well said, and... Uh, and it rung in all of our hearts. And uh, again, thank you for this man. And another legacy he gave us, him and Carol, was sacrificial giving. They gave us that example. Uh, they taught us the importance to practice sacrificial giving. Uh, first and foremost, to express our love to you. And then as an opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only locally but globally. So, Father, uh, as we give even this morning, we trust we give from grateful hearts focused on who you are, what you've done for us. We give to reciprocate to your love and to also make that investment that others might come to just know how precious, how powerful your name truly is as they would come to know the transforming grace of Christ uh, through the gospel of Jesus. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Uh, 
Go ahead, man. Uh, the next person that's going to share a testimony, Don, you can go ahead and be making your way, is Don Branch. Uh, Don was in Joyce, uh, Don and Joyce, they were here at Edgewood prior to Brother David and Carol coming. Don was actually on the uh, pulpit committee that uh, brought Brother David here. Or be there. Oh, you didn't vote for him. Okay, well, okay. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully this will be a good testimony. I, I, think Brother da- I think Brother David eventually won him over. But, uh, uh, of course, Don served as a deacon for many years. Don served as an elder for many years. And uh, I couldn't think of anyone that probably knew Brother David in, as closely as... Uh, as uh, Don does, because uh, again, working with him all those years, deacon, elders, and so many other ways. So, uh, uh, you welcome Don as he shares uh, his reflections on Brother David. If you wonder why I'm wearing this hat, I'm going to show you why you need to get involved with David Howell. <laughs> That's what he'll do to you. I remember many, many years ago, too many for me to remember almost, our pastor retired and we needed to call a pastor and the church saw fit to put me on the pulpit committee with a bunch of other folks, Roe Reagan and a bunch of other people. And we began to meet and collect a list of names for people to call as a pastor of the church. And we had a long list and we started meeting and interviewing people, and we decided to interview David. So he was down at Baxley Baptist Church, and we called him and got him to come up here on a Sunday afternoon. And and we were down in the, in the little room meeting and had discussed several things before David got there. But David comes in, and his hair is all strangled up all his head, and he pulls off his coat and throws it on the back of the chair and, and then pulls off his tie and hangs it on the back of the chair and rolls up the sleeves of his shirt and he says, I'm ready. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, you sure are, buddy. And we had a long discussion with David and he left and Rose says, well, are we ready to vote? And I says, I am, I'm ready to vote. I says, I won't vote for him. And Rose says, you won't? I says, not unless the Lord hits me square in the head with him. So we decided to wait another week, and we got our list the next week, and we sat down, and Rose says, I got some bad news. And everybody looked sort of excited and said, what is it? And Rose says, we don't have but one candidate left. All the others have decided not to follow up on their application. I said, who's left? He said, David Howell. (laughs) I said, well, I guess the Lord just hit me square in the face with him. (laughs) So we called David and the first day David was here, I remember well, it was pouring down rain and his family was settled out with Ms. Bryant out, out on her apartments and I got a phone call about nine o'clock that night and it was David Howell. Pouring down rain, he says, I'm broke down out here at the airport. Come get me. 
Well, that was the first order I got from David. <laughs> but anyway, I got involved in a lot of things in the church, and one afternoon I had to come to the church, and I was walking down the hallway back there, and here comes David down the hallway, and he says, hold on, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So we backed up against the wall, and he says, I just want to tell you, the Lord's told me that he wants you to be his witness. I said, what? I said, David, you know I'm just an old farm boy, and I can't speak none of that sort of stuff. He says, well, that don't make any difference. I don't care what you do. I'm just telling you what the Lord wants you to do. I said, well, I'll think about it. So I thought about it. Well, the next week, evangelism explosion classes were starting at Edgewood, and Monday night I was here. I started going through those classes and everything, and after about three or four weeks studying everything, David says, well, we're going to do some visiting tonight. And everybody was excited, and David looked at me, and he says, I want you to go with Roe Reagan. I said, boy, that suits me. He's the chairman of the deacons. He'll do all the talking, and I can just sit and watch. So we went out to this man's house, and I knew the man because his daughter was my daughter's best friend. And he was about 6'4 and weighed about 350 pounds and carried the biggest gun in Columbus, Georgia. I said, boy, I'm glad Rose's going to do the talking. We got there and started up the walkway to the house, and Rose leaned over and says, Don David told me to tell you, you got to do the talking tonight. <laughs> I said, he must be out of his mind. And Rose says, I'm just telling you. So we knock on the door, nobody comes, and I said, praise the Lord, now let's go. And about that time, his mother-in-law drove up in the driveway and she said, y'all don't leave, so they'll be here in a minute. They're right behind me. Well, in a few minutes, here comes this big police officer and comes in the back door and opens the front door and we go in and we sit down and Roe looks at me and I look at Roe and I think, Lord, is he gonna pull out that gun? I said, what if I say the wrong thing? And I sat there and I talked to him about everything I could think of, which wasn't a whole lot. And finally I said, Wayne, would you let me talk to you about Jesus? And he says, uh-huh. And I started telling him everything I knew about Jesus, about how he died on the cross for his sins and everything else I could think about. Finally I says, Wayne, would you like to pray to receive Christ? He says, uh-huh, and he fell on his face on the floor and he began to pray, and, and man, I'm telling you the truth. Something happened to me right that moment. Folks, I'm going to tell you a little secret. You ever have the opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus, it'll put a feeling in your heart that you can't cover with nothing else in this world. You have that hunger to do it again. Well, Finally, old Wayne jumped up, and he grabbed me under one arm and rolled around the other arm, and he began to dance. 
And I was about to die because he was squeezing the breath out of me. Finally, old Wayne let us go, and he says, I'll see you all in church Sunday morning. Well, Roe and I left, and I said, boy, that David Hell, he knows how to put you in a straight face, something. I mean, he'll put you in a place where you're liable to get killed. Roe says, oh, that man wasn't going to shoot us. I said, you don't know that, Roe. Well, we come on back, made our report. The next Monday night, I'm down here waiting. David says, we're going to go visiting again tonight. He says, Don, I want you to go with Ms. O'Neill. Ms. O'Neill was about this tall, and I thought she was 100 years old because, I mean, she'd been here forever. And I said, Lord, what is he thinking about? I'll have to get her in the car, keep her from getting under the car, and I'll have to get her out of the car and get her in the house and everything else. I said, I need somebody to be of a help to me, not somebody that I got to wait on. So we get in the house and we sit down. There's a man sitting over there watching television, drinking beer. And the person we're to, we're to see was a young man. And I began to talk to the young man and found out for sure, absolutely positive, that the young man was saved and he was, he was serving the Lord. And <clears throat> all of a sudden, I got real bold. I walked over to the old man drinking the beer and watching television, and I said, would you let me talk to you about Jesus? He jumped up, and he says, you get out of my house, and you get out right now. Boy, I just froze, and I looked around, and here come Miss O'Neill. Out of that couch, she walked up in front of that man, put her finger on his nose, and she says, sit down. <laughs> I says, oh, Lord. She started spouting scripture to him, and I mean, she sounded like a sewing machine. She was, boy, she was putting it on him. And all of a sudden, she, she says, amen. Turned around and says, Don, dust the dust off of your shoes, and let's get out of here. And so out we went. We come back, and we shared, and I says, praise the Lord, I'm glad I'm through that. He ain't gonna do that to me no more. And so the next Monday night, I'm back up here, David says, we're going to go visiting again. Dawn, Montucker says she wants to go with you. Montucker's about this high and about this big around, and she's at least 90. And I'm the one that put the name Ma on her because she used to just want to hang on with me sometime, and I got to calling her Ma. Well, it stuck. Everybody in the church got to calling her Ma. So I said, oh, Lord, here I go again. So I got Ma in the, in the car. We're going down the road, and she says, Don, I got something I got to tell you. I says, okay. She says, don't you leave me tonight. I don't know nothing about doing this stuff. And she says, I'm out here to watch you. Says, don't you, don't you leave me by myself. I says, yes, ma'am. We got in the house, and we were greeted by and two visitors, the daughters had two visitors. And so we sat down and began to talk, and the husband came in. Guess what? 
He was another big old police officer. So he says, come on in the kitchen. I got to eat supper. So I went in the kitchen and began sharing with him. And we got through talking and he got up from the supper table and, and uh, we went into the den again. And when we walked in the door, there's Ma Tucker and all five of them people with their knees on the floor and their face on the couch. All five of them received Christ that night. I said, when we left, I said, Ma, how did you know what to do? She says, I don't know. It just come natural. I said, well, I guess it did. And she says, she says, you know, when I started telling them about Jesus, I just, I just couldn't get stopped. I just kept telling them. And I said, well, that's the way it works, Ma. And she says, well, I guess, I guess you taught me a lot of things tonight. I said, yeah, I guess I did. But anyway, I said, I think maybe you taught me a little something. But anyway, I want to tell you something real funny that came up to me. I heard David talking about getting mooned. And it just dawned on me that this is the only church in the Southern Baptist Association that their pastor's been mooned on Sunday morning. Isn't that something to be proud of? <laughs> but uh, I think the highlight of David's career was this church decided one time to have a re reverse beauty pageant. Well, all the men got up dresses and got up songs that they were going to sing and all that so stuff. And nobody knew what Brother David was going to do. But anyway, here comes Brother David walking out in an Indian dress. And he starts singing Indian love call. <laughs> I'll be calling you. <laughs> and Jack Jordan comes out. He had made a, a dress out of one of Caroline's curtains. He comes running out on the, on the floor and his feet slipped out from him. And he hit the floor and, and jumps up and he sung his song. And Jack won because Jack had more relatives in there than anybody else. <laughs> so anyway, that was, a, that was a real highlight in David's career, though. I mean... He, he gained some real respect that night. But anyway, I can remember many, many, many years ago whenever I had, I had a hard time to get to church. I had to work on Sunday mornings. Well, I could always make it last long enough that I didn't come. But my wife brought our baby girl. Brother David taught me to cry. And they were at church this Sunday morning, and it started pouring down rain, so I came home. Well, they were already at church, so I said, well, I might as well go up there and be with them this morning, make some points. I got up there and sat out on the back row, and Brother Peacock says, today is the day you'll accept the Lord as your Christ and Savior. And the Lord said to me, he's pointing at you. Well, that's what I thought he said. So I got up and left. Well, I went home, and I spent the most miserable evening that Sunday evening and that night 
all day Monday, all day Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I called Brother Peacock, and I said, Brother Peacock, do you ever open the doors of the church on Wednesday night for somebody to join? He says, no, but we will tonight. So I joined this church in the basement over there in 1965. And I tell you what, Brother David took over when Brother Peacock left. And I, I think maybe he saw something in me that I didn't know was there. Because he, he started, <laughs> he knows how to keep you busy. He'll keep you so busy you don't have time to think. So I wound up, years later, I started off in the nursery and worked in the nursery and worked my way up in every Sunday school class for boys that there, there is. And I wound up in college and career for about 20-something years. And Roe Reagan and Don Elman started a, a thing called the Lay Witness Team. And they asked me to join. Well, I said I would, but it was hard for me to get off on Sunday, Sunday, Sundays and weekends. So I said, I'll, I'll do what I can. So I made a few visits and Roe died. And the lay witness team voted for me to be the leader. And I said, Lord, I, this is one thing I can't do. I went home and I told my wife and family, I says, I got to go see Mr. Jordan in the morning. That was who I was working for. And he didn't like for me to be gone at all. Sunday mornings or any mornings, he didn't want me gone. He wanted me there on the job. I told, I told my wife and children, I says, I got to go see Mr. Jordan in the morning. And I said, I may get fired. My oldest daughter says, Daddy, if you get fired for doing what the Lord tells you to do, then if we have to live in a tent, the Lord will take care of us. So I went to see Mr. Jordan the next morning. I walked in and Mr. Jordan said, have a seat. And I said, Mr. Jordan, I can't sit down. He said, what's the problem? I said, I'm sold out to Jesus. He looked at me and he says, you're what? I says, I've sold out to Jesus. I says, my church has called me to be the leader of the lay witness team that travels around and does pre-revival services. And I said, uh, I'm going to take it. He sat there a minute and he says, you need to sit down and tell me what this is all about. I sat down and told him, got through, he looked at me and he says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to hire your college graduate that knows golf courses and equipment and stuff like that. And he says, I want you to get him on board. And whenever you're out of town on these weekends, you let him be in charge. I said, yes, sir. And he says, all right, that's settled. I said, thank you. I turned around, walked out the door. I said, Lord, what in the world happened in there? The Holy Spirit says, I beat you here.
I'm coming. I just want to tell David how much I love him. For pushing me and putting me in places where the Lord could use me. Because I said many times, Lord, you can't use this old boy off the farm. Every time I said it, the Lord would say, but I used the mule, a jackass one time. I think I can probably use you. But folks, you got to be willing. If you're not willing, God won't use you. But if you're willing, God will take advantage of every opportunity to use you. I've had some opportunities that you wouldn't believe. Being involved with the lay witness team, I spoke in over 150 churches. I couldn't have done it on my own. My wife used to say, you better get you some note cards and make you some notes. I says, not me, baby. I said, when I stand in that pulpit, I'm going to say what the Lord wants me to say, not what I want to say. And she said, well, what are you going to do if you get in the pulpit and you can't think of nothing to say? I says, I'm going to raise my hand and start dancing around and praising him. And I, Brother David, I do thank you. God bless you, brother. Great. Thank you. I love you and you. And again, Don's example of so many that uh, through David's uh, influence, uh, you know, just pushed, prodded, uh, encouraged us, and uh, we ended up doing things in God's work that we never thought we could have uh, done. But in that, came to know God's grace and His power perfected in our weakness. I'm going to invite my wife up, Kathy. I thought it would be very appropriate for Kathy to give her perspective on Carol. I told her, I just want you to focus on Carol, and I uh, thought that would be appropriate. And so, uh, give my wife a little love. <laughs> when we first came to Edgewood, I had just turned 23. We had been part of a home church fellowship, and then we were part of a smaller Baptist church, and then we were called to Edgewood Baptist Church. It was very overwhelming to see so many people in one place at one time. We met over in Peacock Hall, which was the sanctuary at that time, and there were two services that were filled every Sunday. Carol could have said to me, now that you're part of the staff wives, you really should get involved in, or such and so ministry needs younger women. Why don't you see if you can drum up some support? But she never said anything like that to me. I think she probably felt sorry for me because when we came, I had two toddlers and we were expecting our third. So she probably thought, bless that girl's heart. She just needs to sit down and rest a while. But what she did do was let me to come get acclimated to Edgewood Baptist Church, just get my feet wet and then find out the ministry opportunities that God had for me. Carol did invite me to be part of her Way of Life team, which was a Bible study group that met every week in her home. Our group was like a Titus II model before we even knew it. In my earlier years, we had Mrs. Olinger, and then later on there was Mrs. Oswald. 
women that were older chronologically than Carol was, but they came along with me, and the three of them and the other women shared their wealth of knowledge with me. As I got older, younger women joined our group, and Carol continued to share her knowledge of God's word and practical experience with all of us. Carol, I know you have the gift of prophecy, but you were not the stereotypical prophet who attacks head-on and spoke the truth without regarding people's situations or their feelings. You've always been very humble and soft-spoken. I remember walking across the parking lot with you one night and sharing something that I'd said to a younger woman. I had meant it to be a mild correction and an encouragement, but when I shared my conversation with you, my remarks were met with silence. I don't know what you were thinking, but the silence was enough to tell me that I was wrong and I needed to guard my tongue, and it's always reminded me since then. In our way of life group, you would allow us to talk about a topic or a problem that we were having, and if we were heading in the wrong direction or misguided interpretation of a passage of scripture, you would always start by saying, well, and then you would humbly redirect our thinking to what God's word instructed. When Carol was the senior pastor's wife, we would have church-wide get-togethers. Carol never necessarily gravitated to closer friends or women that she had something in common with, but she would sit with a variety of people, sharing her love and friendship with everybody. I watched you, and I've tried to model that same behavior. I loved our staff dinners, something that I have fallen short of imitating. Several times a year, all the staff and their wives would go to David and Carol's house for a potluck dinner. Well, kind of potluck. Carol would call the wives ahead of time, and she would tell us what to bring. The first dinner that we went to, I made a squash casserole. When we arrived, Brother David asked what I made, and when I told him, he bluntly said, I hate squash. I felt so welcomed. <laughs> I learned that he also hated tomatoes, so I was sure never to bring that to a staff dinner. Carol was much more gracious. When I brought the squash, she simply had said, bring a vegetable. She didn't say, bring a vegetable and please don't bring squash. So she just assumed that I would bring something more palatable. And when we were together, it was always a night of laughter and good-natured teasing. But Carol was the same in the comfort of her home as she was in public before the church family, listening more than she talked and laughing or commiserating as the situation required. Carol has always been very candid with me. She's never pretended to be someone other than who she is, a woman who sincerely wants to love the Lord with all her heart, her mind, her soul, and her strength. Her openness about struggles that she had had in the past or present allowed me to relax and be free to share problems and struggles that I was facing as a wife, as a mom, or simply as a woman. And she continues to be that honest-to-a-fault woman every Sunday morning in her class. She pours herself into the lives of women who need to be strengthened and encouraged in their walk with the Lord. She's a teacher. She's a woman who empathizes, a woman who prays, and all in all, she walks the talk. I'm so thankful to have been under your teaching and to love you as a friend.
You know, uh, earlier in the year, most of you know that uh, Brother David went through a major uh, health crisis. And to be honest, we were very concerned uh, that he would make it uh, through that. And I remember a conversation I had with him in the hospital. I said, you know, Brother David, you asked me several years ago uh, that uh, when you died for me to do your funeral, to do your eulogy. And I said, I just want you to know I've been, I'm working on that, but I'm not finished yet, so you can't die right now. Uh, now, I say that just to be able to mention, what an incredible joy to be able to honor them while they're still living. Amen. And for them to hear these things. Um, wow. I could, I could say so much. I'll be very, very brief make a quick transition to the uh, uh, actual dedication uh, plaque and then uh, give us an opportunity to enjoy the meal together, which I really think is the most important part of this day, to give you an opportunity to fellowship with them uh, and their uh, family. Uh, but, you know, Jonathan said it. Uh, the thing that we all remember about Brother David and Carol is uh, how rooted they were in the Word of God but how that was blended with such tenderness and such love. Uh, I've said many, many times, this is not the first. If you're a part of this church family, you have heard me say this from this pulpit. Brother David is the greatest man of God I've ever known. Amen. He's the... I've said I've, I've heard better preachers, I've heard better teachers, but he's a great preacher and teacher. I don't mean to diminish that at all, but the thing that stands out is just that shepherd's heart, just that huge, huge heart uh, for his people. And him and Carol both, their willingness to get in our messes with us, to get dirty with us, uh, not to keep us there, but what to pull us out and to point us uh, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think when I first came to Edgewood, Brother David asked if I would consider uh, allowing my name to be given to the search committee. They were looking for a minister of education. After a lot of prayer, and uh, I consented uh, to that. But when, you th but, but when you think about this, and I'm not embellishing. Uh, I know uh, many of you don't go that many years back. But I was very, very young, uh, they were, I had no experience in that area. I had no seminary education, which was important to a, to a, lot, a lot of folks. I had no people skills. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I came here very crippled relationally with uh, people skills. And folks, I could not teach. I could not preach worth a hoot. I mean, it really was embarrassing. Uh, whenever I was put in a position like that, I felt so awkward. I mean, I remember Bill Velasquez. Some of y'all will remember Bill, who was a member here at the church. He read me the riot act one day. He said, Andy, I could sell shoes with greater confidence than you're presenting Christ. <laughs> and uh, I, I was, a, and, and you know, when I look back, why in the world did he even ask me to consider that? Uh, but we all know why, because we all have similar testimonies. 
Brother David and Carol, they had this unique ability just to love unconditionally and just to sort of see the diamond in the rough. Not that it was in us, but their confidence in Christ and what Jesus could do in the human heart to transform that human heart. And so when I came here, uh, Brother David was as much a father to me as, uh, as the senior pastor that I, I worked under. And it was the greatest of privileges uh, to be able now to have walked with him for over 46 years and to have the opportunity, I have, don't come close, but to emulate uh, his example, or at least attempt to by God's uh, grace. You know, I've always called myself, when I pray, I say, God, I'm your special needs pastor because I just need you more than the rest. And, uh, and, I, and I appreciate Brother David and Carol embracing me in my weakness and in my infirmities and inadequacies and giving me a chance to grow and, and blossom and for God uh, to use me. And if I could just sum up one passage, and I'll just mention this, that really, I think, better than anything, expresses the heart of Brother David and Carol. I would have to go, I would have to go uh, to Philippians 2. Uh, and does this not express an incredible picture of how they've lived and how they've related to us? It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit out of pride, a desire to put yourself up on a platform or a pedestal to get the applause of others. No, don't do anything out of selfish pride, but with lowliness, humility of mind, regard others more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your interest, but look to the interest of others. Look to the interest of the church family, to the members here. And have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. They have lived, walked out in our, before our eyes the very mind and attitude of Christ who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to what? Selfishly grasp, but emptied himself. And that's what this couple has done for 46 years. They have literally emptied their lives, poured their lives into your life, my life, this church family, this community. And then that goes on taking the form of a what? bond servant. That's how they have always viewed themselves, as servants. And then it says that Jesus was willing what? To humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so bottom line, how would you sum up their ministry? They've loved us to death. <laughs> their love knows in. They, their love knows no end. Uh, they've loved us with a love that's never failed us. They've, they've, they've again showed us that unconditional love, warts and all. And, and, and knowing Brother David and Carol, I do, and I'll, I'll stop with this. This is what I appreciate most. You said, what gave them the strength 
to minister to so many hurting people. Because that's difficult, believe me. It's draining. It wasn't that they had confidence in themselves. It wasn't that they had confidence in our willingness. They had confidence in God's grace. They had confidence that there was never heart so dark God could not penetrate. There was no need so great God could not met. And it was that confidence in God's grace that gave them hope in dealing with every individual. And that hope gave them the ability to endure, to persevere. And the greatest thing we can say about this couple, I believe, the legacy that they leave us is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 about agape love. Because they've lived it. Love never fails. They've never failed this church, whether it's with integrity, in their love for us, or being solid on the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Brother David and Carol, would you mind just, uh, of course, I don't want you to attempt to navigate the platform, but would you just come to the front of the sanctuary and just, just stand right there together? We even let you hold hands if you'd like. You could even put your arm around her if you'd like, Brother David. You could just right here in the center. Again, today we're uh, dedicating uh, the courtyard uh, in honor of Brother David and Carol. And uh, we have uh, prepared a, a bronze uh, plaque. And what I'll be showing you in just a moment, it will uh, uh, be placed on a uh, pedestal. And um, I think I can explain it to you so when you go out you can see it. If you go to the top of the steps, like you were going down to the courtyard, top of those steps going down to the courtyard, the railing there right to the right forms a little corner. And right in that corner on a uh, pedestal will be placing this plaque, which means anyone that ever goes down those steps can't miss it. Anybody that's going into the sanctuary will be unable to miss it because you have to go right by it. And it will, of course, overlook uh, the the courtyard uh, itself. And this is the plaque. And let me read it for you. I know you can't see it from there. But it's a beautiful bronze plaque. By the way, weighs 150 pounds. Uh, Howe Terrace, that's the new name for the courtyard. Dedicated October 21st, uh, 2018 to the glory of God and appreciation of Reverend David and Carol Howe for their love and commitment in ministering to the Edgewood family. And then... uh, A couple of verses that uh, we have heard Brother David say probably more than any other. Uh, Me being at his side, ministering, going to funerals with him. I mean, I can literally say I've heard him quote this hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, But those last couple of verses in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. Would you bow with me as uh, we dedicate this to the Lord, uh, and then uh, we'll give you an opportunity to express your love and appreciation to them. Pray with me. Father, in this service, we do dedicate the courtyard and name it Hal Terrace. Uh, Lord, we do this in honor, in the deepest of appreciation for this marvelous couple that has served us so well, that has shown us the gentleness and tenderness of a mother caring for her children, but also the strength of a father who would encourage and exhort. And Lord, as we honor them, we know they have their human frailties. We acknowledge that they are not perfect. Over these 46 years, as already been indicated, even by them in the Sunday school hour, we've walked through them, with them, not only in our times of adversity and trouble, but in theirs. But we have seen, in a beautiful, beautiful way, the grace of God operative in their lives. We've seen every adversity. We've seen everything that has broken their hearts create a greater tenderness to you. We thank you in every setback. We saw a couple that learned to even lean on you in a greater fashion. And so as we look at this couple this morning, we see one that has truly learned how absolutely dependent they are on you. We have seen how that sense of their dependency has created in their hearts a desperation for you, which has resulted in a determination to follow you, to stay true to you, to realize to live as Christ and to die as gain. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for this precious couple and the impact that they've had on our lives and on so many. And Lord, as I have prayed for them for many years now, we continue to pray that their latter years would truly be their most fruitful years in your service. And we pray that uh, you would continue to bless them, that you would give them their heart's desire, because we know they delight in you. So, Father, again, thank you for this opportunity for us to express our deep love and appreciation to them in dedicating the courtyard in honor of them in the name of Hal Terrace, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Why don't you show them your love and appreciation?
Amen. And uh, Brother David, I'm going to wait till I actually give you a eulogy to tell all the junk that I have on you, okay? Because so, <laughs> I got a lot of stuff over the last 46 years, believe me, uh, working with him. But again, thank you for being here. And I trust uh, as we uh, conclude that uh, everyone will uh, make their way down to the uh, fellowship hall. Uh, church has provided the meat and the drinks. The rest is covered dish, all the sides, the desserts. It should be a wonderful time. Have an opportunity to express directly to Brother David and Carol your love and appreciation as well as to their, uh, uh, to their family. And so uh, let me just very quickly thank God for the food, and then uh, you're dismissed, and let's enjoy that meal together. Father, again, uh, great uh, morning, uh, honoring a great couple, and uh, Father, bless now as we move to the uh, meal. Thank you for the many that have been uh, involved in providing it, and uh, bless our fellowship around the tables. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, God bless.